Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Eating Crow Podcast. Here's your host, Pete Durand. to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I have the, the joy and pleasure of having Chris Cohen, uh, who's kind of, a, kind of a hero for me. He's cool. <laughs> He's got some cool stuff going on. So You've got to raise the bar, if that's the case. <laughs> well, I, I, if, I, if I comment on that, I'm lowering the bar too far for you. So Chris and I met uh, about a year and a half, two years ago? Uh. Yeah, well, no, I think it was about a year that I came in for that uh, initial uh, information session. That's correct. So Chris was learning, seeking knowledge to, to figure out how to grow his business. And uh, I was one of the few people that got to interview Chris for this entrepreneurial program we were running. And, uh, I, was fast, I was actually more fascinated in our first interview. I thought, we have to have this guy in the program. <laughs> and, you know, Chris, your background is very interesting. Uh, you actually have taught me some things on how to do podcasting and use audio equipment. And uh, it was it was evident to me in one of our first Zoom calls, we joked about it, when everyone else spoke and then you spoke and it sounded like you're speaking through a megaphone into an amplified, amplified <laughs> sound theater. It was so impressive. I'm like, I just got this mic that I do. So Chris, tell us about your business and what you do because it's very unique. I'd love to hear more and, and have the audience learn what you do first. And let's talk about how you got there. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's still been the tricky thing is, is getting a really good description of what I do. The, the general easy line is that I do, I handle social media content. I manage social media for bands and individual musicians, also some businesses, but mainly bands and and, uh, individual musicians. Um, the lengthier answer uh, and and where it gets complex is because right now social media is still so new that it's become this huge catch-all and yet there's really uh, different skill sets engaged in, in social media. There's, there's uh, different aspects to it. Lord knows there's thousands of platforms. Uh, and and ways of of uh, getting your message out through social media, and so people say social media, and it it you know it doesn't really drill down into the specifics of of what each individual company or person brings. And uh, my thing is is content. My thing is is pulling insights and stories and ideas out of my clients, usually through an interview. And then that becomes the foundation for their content going forward, either in text form or video form. Yeah, I noticed you've done a great job using macro content to create micro content on LinkedIn. What I mean by that is you're shooting these long form interviews or videos, and then you use snippets to convey a specific piece of value about that particular person or band that their fans or your fans would find interesting. Yeah. And it takes some of the pressure off. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have worked with bands, a lot of companies, a lot of record labels, and they just give these bands a to-do list. All right. We want 10 posts about this, you know, we, and, 
but these guys aren't necessarily made for that. They're, you know, they're waiting for the muse to kick in, so to speak. Um, And they're not, you know, uh, tapping away on a keyboard uh, uh, for 14 hours a day. But if you engage them in conversation and get them to really just talk about music and songwriting and things, a lot of great material comes out. And then you go through and, and you can edit it. And But also it takes the pressure off knowing, all right, this doesn't have to be perfect in in uh, uh, its initial broadcast form. It doesn't have to be come out exactly right. We're just going to record it and then what no one ever talks about in social media, but which I think is really important, there's editing involved. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I've learned that the hard way. Um, <laughs> and I'm not very good at it. <laughs> so, you know, Chris, when we first met, there were some aspects of your background. Well, I think it's interesting professionally and as a parent, you face some unique challenges that I think you're, you've adapted your lifestyle to allow you to really move forward in some unique ways with. So maybe you can share, you know, what you were doing years ago in LA and how you got started with this business today that I think would be great for everybody to understand. Yeah, so, um, well, the the first thing you need to know is I've always been a music junkie, Um, you know, ever since high school, like at lunchtime, my friends and I, we would talk about albums, we would talk about musics, uh, we talk about guitar solos, different drummers we liked, all this kind of stuff. And I, you know, would would uh, grab books, I'd grab magazines, newspapers, any kind of interview I could find with different musicians. And 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 uh, I read, I think I, I read liner notes, you know, that the small print that came at the back of the album after all the lyrics. Uh, wow. um, yeah, I uh, where everyone was like, who the hell reads this? That was me. I was the guy who read all that stuff. I think I've read the liner notes for pretty much every album I've ever owned. Um, oh, and because and, I love that because all the information you could get from it. So um, so fast forward, I uh, I went to uh, a school in uh, I grew up in Southern California, went to college uh, in Southern California at uh, uh, USC. Uh, I actually got in legitimately. None of my parents were part of the cast of Full House, in case you're wondering. Um, You know, which always made me wonder with all the scandals. It's like, I got in. Their standards can't be that high. How hard is it? Um, But, and so I was in the journalism program. And, but the, the, what, what I love the most is I, I got an internship uh, with a classic rock station in Los Angeles called KLSX and specifically helping this DJ uh, by the name of Jim Ladd, um, and also this other DJ named uh, uh, Dusty Street, her real name. Uh, uh, and I just fell in love with that whole aspect of of, of radio. And uh, it, was, it was theater of the mind, is what Jim called it. And it wasn't so programmed with them. He was still allowed to pick his own songs. And uh, it was just, you know, absorbed in the music and people that loved music. And uh, so uh, I just continued down that path. And uh, I ended up having uh, my own show at a radio station in Santa Barbara for a year. Um, And that was great. It was a lot of fun. But at that point, that's when radio really started to head downward. And um, so there were becoming less and less opportunities. 
Um, so eventually I always had a geeky side too. And eventually I ended up, that's as radio was going down, the internet was coming up. So I ended up getting involved in tech. Uh, I ended up living in the San Francisco Bay area and I worked for companies like uh, Netscape and Cisco and HP. Um, and it was great. And I met a lot of great people and I thought, all right, well, this, it's not music, but it's, it's still interesting. And this will at least be stable. Because uh, because uh, radio was not stable, and then I went through layoff after layoff and downsizing after downsizing, and I'm like, you know, this is not the stable job I thought it was going to be. So we ended up out here in uh, the Raleigh, North Carolina area, and uh, after a uh, one another yet another layoff, uh, I was in between gigs, and um, there's an online publication here uh, uh, called the Carry Citizen. And uh, I was doing some freelance work for them. And they said, you know, we have a relationship with the local amphitheater, Coca Booth Amphitheater. They said, uh, you know, if, if you ever want tickets or stuff, let us know. We can maybe arrange that. So not long after that, uh, we saw that Huey Lewis and the News were coming to town to do a show. And I said, hey, can I get tickets? And they said, yeah, great. And, and uh, will you write a review? And I'm like, sure. But then I thought, I'm like, you know, it'd be much more fun to do an interview than to write a review. So I started working and talking with their management uh, about doing an interview and stuff. And as I was doing that, I was doing research and I was looking to see what are they doing online? What are they doing on Facebook and social media in general? And they really weren't doing that much. Um, and to the point where I started talking to the, the management at the time and saying, you know, I think you guys are, are missing out on an opportunity here to really connect uh, with with fans and, and talk about your music. Um, and the management at the time was a little, a little nervous about it. So I finally got the green light to do a phone interview with Huey uh, like two days before the concert. And at the end of the interview, I just said to hell with it. And I gave him my pitch and I said, you know, again, I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, and, and I would love the chance to help you guys with this. And he said, well, I, I like what you're saying. Let's talk about this more on Saturday. So I said, great. How? And he said, well, you're coming to the show, right? And I said, well, I, yeah, I have tickets. I don't, I don't have backstage passes. And he's like, well, now you do. That's awesome. So <laughs> during the opening act, I went and uh, I spoke with him. I spoke with Bill, the drummer, Lowell, who uh, at the time was a tour manager who became their full-time manager. And I said, you know, you guys only have 7,000 followers on Facebook. You, you have way more fans than that, uh, which are not being tapped into. I said, you're not on Twitter at all. Uh, I said, there are three fake Huey Lewis accounts on Twitter. Uh, I said, at least I assume they're fake. I assume you weren't the ones who came up with the handle, I'm Huey Lewis, bitch. Um, and, and he said, I don't know. I may have said that at one point in time. Um, and I said, there's so much for you to talk about and in our history. And, you know, there was just a recent anniversary of back to the future and there's all that material to discuss. Yeah. And I just think it could have been, you know, you guys aren't tapping into this. So he said, all right, well, we're going to think about it. So he went, uh, we went back out to the main area. They performed the show went back after the show and, and Huey said, you know, I think we're going to give this a shot. And so a few weeks later, um, the management called up and said, all right, we're going to try this till the end of the year and see how it goes. So I said, great. Uh, and that was 
over nine years ago, and uh, I am still working with them to this day. Nine years is a great customer retention program. <laughs> the, uh, um, yeah, and well, I'm lucky. You know, I'm I'm lucky. They're very. Uh, they're. I've been uh, working with a lot of very classy people, and they're they're definitely in that category. Well, that's fun. I mean, you, you you're you've done a couple of interesting things. Chris, we've, we've discussed this. You're not necessarily, as you would self-describe, a salesperson. No, right? not at all. But you, you asked for the order. And you did it at the most opportune time. So there's a lesson there for people who don't feel like they're salespeople, but want to go out on their own, start their own business. Whether it's you know managing someone's social media or doing marketing consulting or financial consulting, if you're an accountant and you're doing accounting for other people, you still have to be a salesperson. Yeah, yeah. Right? You have to ask for the order and and not be afraid of your value, and then you got to get into the pricing discussion. How much do you charge for this? Is probably what people say. So, Chris, what are you going to charge me to do this for us? And that's probably still evolving even after nine years, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and especially now with the pandemic going on, where a lot of my clients have had their incomes completely decapitated, uh, there's there's a lot of discussion around that because, um, you know, uh, as the music industry evolved, tours, live shows were the only way the bands made money. Yeah. Um, and to have that cut off has been, you know, a huge problem. So uh, I've been working with uh, a lot of my clients and uh, we've done some adjustments here and there. And, you know, it's my whole thing is this is not their fault. This is an extreme circumstance. And so uh, I'm really trying to help them whatever way I can. And uh, I'm, I've never been cutthroat as far as the money goes. And sometimes I worry that that's, you know, uh, an issue standing in the way of my success, but I would much rather keep that relationship and, and, and work with people I really am interested in and care about than, than just chase the buck, so to speak. Uh, it's interesting with all the shows being cut, they've got to figure out how to promote themselves on social media or they're going to lose their following or get them to some sort of a revenue stream, which has to be their fan sites, uh, you know, selling more on Spotify or, you know, iTunes or whatever it is. They've got to get the word out digitally because they're not physically out there. So how have you adapted your sales process and your pitch and your value proposition to leverage the fact that they probably need you more than ever, but may not know it or feel like they've got to pay for it? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, you know, it, or, well, that's not the right. I don't know. It's kind of two conflicting needs. The the on the one hand, they need social media now more than they ever did because they're not traveling around the country. They're not meeting people in person. On the other hand, they you know have uh, um, they don't have any money coming in for the most part. Right. Some have a little bit, um, and so it's it's the idea of having to suddenly add an expense when you have you know very little to no income. Um, you know, that's been the challenging thing. And there's some uh, who have come to me and said, look, you know, I really, now that we have all this downtime, um, I, I've actually taken on some new clients because they've come to me and said, look, we have this downtime. I really want to make the best use of this. 
and sure. and 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 try and um, develop better content, more content, and and uh, just build up our name, you know. But they said, well, we can't afford what you normally charge, you know. Will you work with us? And so usually I just say, yeah, yeah, no problem. Let's let's talk. What can you afford? And then just down the road, when hopefully things get back to normal, we'll we'll have a discussion again about, okay, now that things are back ramped up, can we get back to kind of a normal pay scale? Sure. Um, you know, and that's, I don't know, that's just been my way of, of, uh, of going about it. Well, I think they probably appreciate that flexibility. And I don't know if very many companies that haven't had to rethink their pricing during this period of time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and as far as the bands are concerned, you know, it's it's a tough thing. They all want to know how to make money during this time. What are the alternate ways that we can bring in money? But it's difficult because you have to know that your fans are hurting as well. And some of these people have been laid sure. off or, you know, at least severely had their incomes uh, cut back. And so how do you in turn go asking for help from them? And that's where it's been quite the tricky situation. Um, Things like uh, you can't rely on sales or streams at all, really, uh, because they pay absolutely nothing. Sure. Um, in fact, uh, Spotify recently uh, ticked off almost every musician in the country uh, when the CEO said that uh, basically he suggested bands were being lazy by releasing an album every three years and that they should really release a new song every week. And uh, that's... Oh. Yeah. So, uh, keep so in mind, the creative process is part of a big factory now. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is someone who makes, I think, around $40 million a year. And the average pay per stream on Spotify is 0.003 cents per play. So, if your song is played 1,000 times, you've earned three cents to split among you the rest of the band, the record label, et cetera. So, staggering. Yeah. It's staggering how the whole industry turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I contend it's just because they're easy to steal. You know, my whole sure. thing was if, if you could steal a car as easy as you could steal a song, then Spotify would sell you a Ferrari for a nickel. You know, it's, uh, I've got a funny story about that. So before Spotify, before all the streaming channels, uh, my, uh, my son and some friends, and actually I think probably most of the kids in the neighborhood learned how to burn a CD, right? So they could load up a song, they could burn a CD and make, they were making mixed, you know, mixed CDs, which I thought that's fine. Just like we did it with cassettes as kids, you know, yeah. we made it, we made mixtapes, mm -hmm. name them or theme them. Well, one neighbor uh, ripped a whole CD of another band's album, like ripped the whole album, and gave it to my son, and I made him take it back. Ah. I said, you need to bring it back to their house. You can't accept that. And he said, why? I said, well, because I'm in the software business, and that band spent a lot of time and money building that album, and you basically, and he didn't know it at the time. He was very, he was probably not, right? I said, by you getting that for free, you've robbed them of their ability to pay for their house and their car and their kids and their school. That's their job. Yeah. And the kid's dad was an attorney. He looked at me like, are you kidding me? 
you just, I said, well, yeah, it's simply not right. I mean, I, I don't know what else we want to call it. It's just not right. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, we just, it's just not right. There's the only, because I've never seen anybody do that before. I go, well, it's sad, but if you don't have a little bit of a birdie in the back of your head saying, you should, probably shouldn't be doing that. You got to really think you're, you know, your conscience. So, yeah. you know, now that it, like you said, it is so easy. There are services I'm paying for Spotify. I pay for iTunes. I pay, I just, by the way, just, I just got Pandora's, you know, four ninety nine subscription a month because I'm not, my kids will spend hours in my building playlists, running lists through iTunes. And I'm too lazy. <laughs> I just want to hit a station and play and then just go enjoy it. Yeah. So uh, working out the commercials are driving me nuts or in the house. So I just bit the bullet and spent $4 and 99 cents. And now I've got unlimited music of my favorite channels and artists with no issues. And I've been a Pandora fan for years. The first time one of my coworkers showed me Spotify, I looked at it and said, I don't understand. <laughs> I didn't I like, I don't understand this. Just, right. just Pandora. Yeah. And I get, I get that it's, it's easy and it's convenient and you know, uh, at least with Spotify, it's all you know above board and legal and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's brutal. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. That who would have imagined a year ago that touring would would be completely dark in 2020? Yeah, no, there was no way to predict this, and and uh, yeah, so everyone is scrambling, as you said, in any business. No one saw this coming, so we're trying to adapt the best way possible. How are artists adapting? I mean, what are you seeing them pivot or do to, I mean, are they generating any income? Um, yeah, you know, there's, well, there are people that, you know, if you've, if you've been around a long time, if you're a classic rock band, let's say, and you're still getting played on terrestrial radio, that pays out you know, some money. Let's say you've had music in movies and things of that nature. That pays out as well. Some people still do buy, you know, albums here and there. Um, the other, you know, and there's some sales of merchandise, but again, merch, the biggest sales of merch always happened at the Shows. show. Yeah. Um, and so a lot are just kind of resorting to uh, doing these live stream shows and some have put up a paywall for it and they're trying it that way. And others are just doing this kind of virtual tip jar. Wow. That's great. Now what's the latest that you're hearing Chris about the tours starting up again? I mean, what's the thought? Um, there are some artists that have, you know, optimistically kept uh, fall shows on the books. Um, but they're starting to have to cancel those now. Yeah. Uh, so earliest I would say is next spring. Um, wow. I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm wrong. Um, but we'll have to wait and see not until there's some sort of vaccine or some way to easily congregate in crowds. Now, some, some artists have done the drive-in thing, um, oh, yeah. which has been interesting. I don't know if that's been particularly lucrative uh, or if they've made, you know, kind of money off of that, um, you know, but 
I know it's 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 filled a need. Let's put it that way for people to hear live music and stuff like that. Uh, Brad Paisley's one artist. He's done a few drive-in shows where he's set up camp in parking lots of football stadiums, and they they mark off places. Here's your car. You sit right next to your car, and then you know on and on down the line. Um, and I've done some work with his drummer, uh, a guy named Ben Caesar, and. And he said it was just fabulous just to be able to play again, you know, and just get on a stage, you know, even even if it was a different scenario, it just felt good to play again. It might be interesting to see how this pause reignites some passion in some artists to get back out, create new content. And also, you know, I think touring as your primary income has to be fairly exhausting. So... And maybe they've recharged their batteries when they get out. There. I, by the way, I would love to see, you know, the first God, Godsmack show <laughs> after <laughs> after uh, after a pause like this because it would be ripping, right? Or the Food Fighters, you know, who just put on an amazing show. So yeah. there's so many bands out there that you know are going to get this decompressed time to go back out there and really reconnect with their fans. Oh yeah. They they can't wait and 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 as it is you know I feel sad because there's there's anniversaries of certain shows that are coming up oh this is the time we played this this festival or this venue and you know they'll post pictures and say you know I'm waiting for the time I can do this again right right what's uh how does your business go Paul what do you see next for you you know either extending the social media model or potentially having helping bands think about new revenue streams um. I mean, mainly it's a matter of, cause I don't, I didn't come into this with a plan for revenue streams necessarily. Interesting. So, you know, cause they already had, you know, that was already taken care of in some respects, they could have used help. Um, and I do what I can to try and come up with different ideas. Um, you know, there's one uh, artist, this band I work with called Cowboy Mouth and they have a, a site on Patreon which is a, a subscription service where you put out content and fans can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. And uh, as, as it, it helps bring in a little bit of income, some people are making a killing on that, but it, it, they make it, a lot of the people make it look easier than it really is. It's not a, a, an easy thing. And, um, you know, that's, that's also the other aspect that's coming out about this is, okay, what, what number of true fans do you have? Um, and as we've talked about, that's been my whole push for even before this was to get people to stop looking at the numbers um, and stop looking at the likes, the followers and all of that kind of stuff. Because, well, number one, there's a huge amount of fraud in that area. Um, you know, you can buy that up all day long uh, the New York Times had a great series called The Follower Factory, you know, where they found out uh, there was this one supermodel and she has a million followers on Twitter and they did research and found out 900,000 of those people were fake accounts. Um, wow. And people are getting deals because of this, you know, because they think, oh, they have reach and stuff. I, and I get that. But people or companies are also becoming more savvy. Like, well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. Um you know, uh, I've been working with several drummers and some of them pointed out there was this one lady that has over a million followers on YouTube 
And, you know, how come she's able to achieve that? And I said, well, you have to, nowadays you have to assume a lot of those aren't real. And even if they are real, are they really true fans? Because she also created a Patreon account. And out of 1 million YouTube followers, she has 200 people who are, who are paying her on Patreon. So oh, sure, sure. It doesn't equate to, all right, these people are going to support you and pay for you. Um, so that's my thing is, number one, stop looking at the numbers. And because I really don't think there is a way to measure social media, both in the good sense, you know, and the bad sense. The bad sense being uh, the fakery that goes on and uh, the paying for followers and all of that kind of stuff. But also in the good sense, there's lots of people out there that don't click like they don't uh, um, comment just because they don't have to, but they're still absorbing the content. They're still sure. watching things, reading things. Um, and the best way that I've seen that, that, that that can be marked, which is not something you can easily measure, is like uh, one of my clients, uh, an artist in New Orleans named John Papa Grow. He said, yeah, he said, when I started working with you, people started coming up to me after the show and talking about stuff that we had posted and I know that they didn't click like, I know that they didn't comment or any of that kind right. of stuff. So it showed me, okay, even if it's not being tracked in a sense by Facebook, by Instagram, it's still connecting with people. We have the same discussion internally about how to rethink our outbound marketing efforts at, at my company for the same reason we believe that we're engaging clients without them actually clicking through, right? They've seen us five or six, seven times. So when they do have a, inbound call from a salesperson, they go, oh yeah, I know who you are. I, I, I like your content. I just didn't take the time to click through, but now's a good time. Let's mm -hmm. figure out how we can get a deal done. So that's, you know, it, I, my heart goes out to the entertainment industry because I like to be entertained. So I would, I would hope that they continue to thrive. It is interesting when you see the difference in uh, a million YouTube viewers versus 200 on Patreon. That kind of tells you something. Yeah. Yeah, I, you had mentioned something earlier. Do you think there's an appetite for for a pay per view concert series, right? Well, I, people pay twenty bucks to watch a boxing match and get a bunch right. of people at their house. Would they pay twenty bucks or fifty bucks or a hundred bucks to watch a Fleetwood Mac perform a live concert? I I don't know. It's up in the air, if only because you're not seeing them perform with a crowd and that kind of takes something out of it. I believe uh, so. And that, but that was always the other thing of why people could, why bands could still make money on the live shows. No matter how good a DVD of a concert was, it still wasn't that same experience of being there. Um, yeah. Ones that I've seen that have done it well, uh, again, the, the best example I know of is, is Brad Paisley, who put on some live stream shows, uh, uh, which were broadcast on YouTube and such, and he got sponsorship to cover the cost. So free for the people watching, uh, the beverage company that was footing the bill got a lot of great promotion as a result. Um, and so theoretically, everyone came out a winner on that end. Yeah, and I, I will admit, when I, when I do watch a video of a live concert it's typically been the post-production is pretty amazing right yeah. the camera views the audio 
it's crisp, it's clear. It was recorded for that very reason, right? With mm -hmm. multiple mics and the lighting system. So it, I, I, one of my favorites that I've seen is In Excess performed a concert back in the early 90s. Uh, that to this day is still one of the best, literally one of the best remastered concerts I've ever. They did re, they redid everything in sixty nine aspect ratio and changed all the audio. And wow! It is, it's it, I I watched it on happened to catch it on TV a month ago to the point where it caught my breath. I, I literally was writing <laughs> things down and texting friends like, "You need to turn this out right now. This is amazing!" Wow! So it can, I guess it can be done, but there was a lot of production work involved in quality. And Fleetwood Mac has a DVD that's been out for years that is just an amazing rendition of them playing live. Yeah. Bill Collins live has some Genesis has some amazing live footage. So it can be done, but I think you're right until they can figure out how to change the feeling of you sitting next to your buddies with a beer in your hand outside screaming and having a good time and forgetting your work week. That's what people go to concerts for. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so, unfortunately. So yeah. the true music people will still be listening to that music years down the road and, and repurposing it. Yeah. Uh, well, Chris, you know, I, it, it's a pleasure. I, I, there's probably years more of experience of your time in LA, your time where you legitimately got into USC. I'm very happy and proud of you for that. <laughs> well done. Uh, what's, uh, what's next? Tell me how the job is it, has it turned into something you believe you can continue to grow to support your family? Uh, working from home is, is something you need to be able to do with your wife as well. How's that all evolved? Um, I think so. I mean, for one thing, I've figured out when I originally got into this business, it was because the quick answer I say is I got tired of seeing these intelligent, creative musicians just posting pictures of their lunch all day. And I just basically knew as a music fan, I went after this is what I want to see you know this is why I read the liner notes of everything you know uh you know pre-internet I grabbed every magazine and newspaper I could find with with interviews with my favorite musicians uh and scoured them for that kind of material then the internet came along every band had a website and now every band is on social media and now I'm scouring newspapers and magazines for material because none of them, none of these bands are really posting any information about their music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, so that's how it started. It's since evolved that I've been able to do this for businesses as well. Um, uh, you know, I just started actually working with a, a professional fitness coach and, and it's the same kind of methodology of, of interviews and taking his material and editing it and condensing it and, and getting at the stories and insights that, that really make him him and uh, show off his knowledge, show off his experience. So in some ways, the business is kind of evolving and broadening to be, you know, about not just bands, but also businesses and people in particular that maybe, you know, you don't sell a widget that can easily be explained or that can be bought on Amazon, like, oh, just a price comparison. Maybe you're a consultant that has difficulty explaining the value you bring to uh, your clients. And that's kind of the same aspect. And so that's, I'm dipping my toe in that water, but um, I don't know, I still wanna, I still want to promote music. It's still the, the aspect of it that I love. And so I'm still hoping it'll, it'll come back in some way, shape or form. Um, and so I just want to keep continuing to, 
delve into that area. Um, and I guess, you know, that's the other thing is for all the bands that are doing these live stream shows, there's some that seem to have given up and are just not posting anything at all. And my thing is you, you have so much interesting stuff to talk about, at least for, for a person like me, a music junkie like me. Um, and so maybe you don't have the natural inclination to sit down and write an autobiography, you know, one post at a time. But that's the kind of stuff that I can do and that I can help with. You know, it's so unique. I'm not seeing anybody else do it. I'm just not watching anyone else provide micro content about a specific event or something they learned. You know, I, what I love about your post is the, the sub headline is always something useful. You know, see or hear how so and so did X or learn from this or how they apply this technique to drumming or or something. And true fans would appreciate it because they don't, like you said, they don't have any other content to consume right now. Yeah. And it, it, it's so, content is king. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again. You've got to do it. So I hope that more bands, even the fact that you've mentioned some new ones have come to you and say, Chris, now's the time for me to double down and work on content. I hope that continues for you. Thank you. Yeah, I do as well. And, um, and you know, it's like I learned from the bands as well, uh, even, even ones, because as you know, I do an interview series. Not all of them are my clients. Uh, but, you know, I'm such a junkie that I can't wait to talk to uh, another musician. And I did one, the, the last interview I did right before everything shut down was with uh, Chris Fryer, who's the drummer for the Zach Brown Band, yeah. uh, when, when they came and played here at PNC Arena. And he had a, a, a fantastic perspective on it because he says, you know, they're they're playing big arenas now. And he said, people come up to him, young drummers, and they're like, you know, so, you know, now that you're a success, you know, how has that changed you in that thing? And his whole thing was, I've been a success since I was 17 years old, because it comes down to how you define success. And he said, my definition was always on the tax form, there's a box that says occupation. And if I can write musician in that box, then I'm a success. And so he's always been able to make a living since he was 17 as a musician. And so I think for a lot of people now, I think it's, you know, wise words to follow. How are you defining success and what is really important to you? Uh, it's like when you, at the start of the launch carry program, when you were talking about, you really need to find something that you care about because that's going to carry you through the hard times. Yeah. Um, and that's my thing. Times are, are really difficult right now. I don't have it as hard as other people, but um, they are challenging and having a special needs child at home and trying to corral him in and amongst all this. But I'm still happy to put in the hours going through a transcript of an interview with a musician because it's, it's, it's just what I love to do. You know, it, it's uh, interesting. Again, you were one of the people that helped inspire me to start this podcast. And, and I was fascinated by the fact that you enjoyed what you were doing and the content and, you know, dissecting interviews to find the nuggets. I oddly enough find the same thing. You know, I, I enjoy learning from people like you that have found something they pursued they're passionate about. I learn something every time I do one of these. Uh, I have one question for you to wrap up the interview. Okay. When you fill out your tax form. What do you put? Uh, right now I put social media specialist, uh, again, I don't think it, it drills down, but it, it kind of 
encapsulates what it is that I do. Um, yeah. You're right. You have to, you, sometimes when you invent your own job, those are the best. Just, yeah. You, yeah. You, uh, you identified a problem that was not being addressed in your nine year ago discussion with Huey Lewis in the news. And they scratched their head and said, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. And obviously nine years later, they're still pleased with the work we're doing. So. Yeah. And the upshot of the story being, um, this year, Huey Lewis and the News released an album, uh, album new material called Weather, and uh, I am in the liner notes. And you know, uh, for me, that that is like the biggest honor you could get. Well, there you go. That that's the best way. That, to me, you started off with I used to read liner notes, and now you're in the doggone liner notes. Yeah. Full circle, Chris. That's fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I appreciate it. I want to touch back with you uh, in episode, you know, 150 when people are playing live stadiums again. Definitely. And and hopefully we can, maybe we can record this live ourselves one of these days. I would love to do this live and I would love to attend uh, a concert at this, at some point with you at Coco Booth. That's one of my favorite venues as well. Yes. Yes. It's beautiful. And all right, we'll schedule it. Sounds good, Chris. Thanks again for the time. You have a great night. All right. That's thanks. it, folks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Eating Crow, available on all podcast platforms. You can follow Pete on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to join the Eating Crow community. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you soon.